0: Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first what the date? hell is a foreign But that was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Every Girl Podcast. We have a really powerful show for you today. Amanda Klutz is a TV personality, dancer, actor, and fitness instructor. She's done a lot in her career, from being on Broadway to starting a fitness empire to most recently co hosting the hit daytime talk show, The Talk. But Amanda became best known all over the world for her experience with grief and the best selling book that she wrote called Live Your Life. Even if you don't already follow Amanda on Instagram, You may have heard about her story. I feel like everybody was talking about it. In March 2020, so literally at the start of the pandemic, Nick Cordero, Amanda's husband and the father of their one-year-old son, Elvis, went into the hospital with what they believed to be pneumonia. He was soon diagnosed with COVID and his symptoms quickly worsened, obviously very unexpectedly for an otherwise healthy man and young father. Amanda documented their journey on social media to spread awareness about the dangers of COVID and how it could affect anyone regardless of age. Her updates quickly captured millions of people and their story was shared across all news networks around the world. I had been a huge fan of Amanda for a while and followed her on Instagram because I had recently taken a workout class with her. And I remember being shocked at the update that This young guy, her husband was in the hospital, but it was so powerful how she never lost hope. That is like the one thing that stands out to me, even a few years later, looking back on how her and her family fought so hard and inspired the world to do the same. I remember all over the world, people were singing and dancing to Nick's song every day in hopes and prayers that he would recover. I mean, being in LA... It was like, I forget if it was at 7pm or like a certain time of night, everybody would play his song. And I remember hearing it, opening my windows and hearing the song, Live Your Life, be playing on repeat every single night. And it was so amazing how many people felt this hope and inspiration and were praying and thinking for Nick's survival as well. When Nick passed after 95 intense days in the ICU, the entire world grieved for Amanda and her son Elvis, who was still just a baby. Since then, Amanda has shared so much light and inspiration for people who are dealing with grief and loss. She is immensely inspiring. I think this conversation we have will bring a lot of peace and comfort to you guys. It certainly did for me. It felt like a healing therapy session. And she shares the mindsets and conversations that really helped her hold on to her faith, and get through something that seems impossible to fathom and find happiness. It's an amazing conversation and Amanda's attitude is beyond inspiring. Honestly, like I have such anxiety around death and it's something that I've, you know, gone through a lot of therapy about and I typically like kind of like suppress and shy away and like stuff down. Like that is my go-to when it comes to things that are are this uncomfortable and this hard to talk about. But this conversation like made me feel so Amazing! I can't even explain it. It was just like such a healing conversation. And Amanda being so open and sharing her story with people, I think helps people all over the world to go through grief and to rethink the relationship they have to the, the loved ones that they see as past. In addition to her story with Nick and with grief, we also talk about her career also because she obviously has a fascinating career trajectory that I, you guys know I had to get all the scoop on and her wellness routines and how fitness was a key part of her grieving journey and something that she prioritizes every day for her mental health. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. I hope it resonates with you as much as it did with me when I was chatting with her. It is one of the most profound and like kind of life-changing. I want to say life-changing, but you guys know I say the word all the time, but it really was life-changing. It was such a great conversation. I know you guys are going to love it as well. Please welcome Amanda Klutz to the Evergirl podcast. Before we get into the episode, we are doing a listener survey to find out what you like and what you want more of so we can bring you the very best content we possibly can. To fill out the quick five-minute survey, check out the link in the show description below. It is very short, you guys, I promise, very easy but it helps us so much. So I really appreciate it in advance. Our biggest goal is truly to bring you content and conversations that inspire you and actually change your life. That is what we're trying to do here. And at the very least, just brighten your day. So taking a minute to fill out the survey would really mean so much to us and help so much. So don't forget to do that before you end the episode here. Maybe you can pause and go to that survey. Thank you guys so much in advance and I hope you love the episode. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining us. It is so nice to see you. And thank you for coming on the Evergirl podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I actually met you before, which you're not going to remember, but I, years ago, this was like at the very beginning of COVID. It was like the, I swear, like the week before everything shut down, you did a class at Bandier and I was at the class and I met you there. So I feel like it's been like a long time coming that I get to see you again and a lot has changed since then. So I'm excited to dive into everything that's been going on since. Oh, I love that. I love that you were able to take one of those classes. That's great. So I want to actually start from the very beginning of your career. Um, I know you started as a dancer on Broadway and you are a rocket. You were like literally living out my childhood dreams. How did you break into such a tough industry?
0: I went to school for it when I was 18. I decided that I wanted to you know that's exactly what I wanted to do be on Broadway, do the Rockets and I knew I needed like intense training in order to do that. So, I convinced my parents to let me go to a conservatory in New York called Amda, and it was this two year very like intense conservatory for singing, acting, and dancing and I did that for two years and two days before I graduated, I booked the national tour of forty second street so I was on my way but yeah, I was just lucky it was just I always knew what I wanted to do, and um I knew how to get there because I just knew like how I needed to train in order to get there.
1: Wow. Okay. So you kind of knew the steps, like what needed to be done in terms of like certain technique skills you need to have, like how to get, did you have to get an agent in order to book Broadway shows? No,
0: not at that time because I was non-equity and I was just starting out. So when you're just starting out, you kind of just go to open calls and non-equity calls and you wait in long lines and you just kind of submit yourself to the every man in that case, you're not eligible yet to be at you know fancy calls for things. So I knew I was a dancer, but I knew I had to round out acting and singing in order to do Broadway. And I also knew that I needed to, You know, I, I did mostly ballet. So I needed to work on my jazz and my tap and musical theater. So I don't know. I just knew that it was the right school for me in order to pursue this dream.
1: And like, that's amazing. Like I feel like a lot of kids like myself when they're young, we're like, oh, we want to be a dancer on Broadway and we want to be a rockette. Like a lot of little kids have the dream, but then you kind of like grow out of the dream and you're like, okay, that's not realistic. I'm going to go into something more normal, I guess, easier to get into. So I think it's so cool. I love talking to people that kind of never grew out of that dream, you know, that like kept going with it. And what was it like being a rockette? I feel like the the schedule, the re- rehearsals must be gnarly. Like, what was that like? Yeah, um,
0: it's crazy. You're You're working... So hard, I mean it's the Rockettes is different from Broadway because you are one of thirty six women you're constantly working and striving towards perfection, and everyone's doing the exact same thing at the exact same time whereas in Broadway you're one of six people and you have an individual character you have you know a personality you're allowed to kind of work outside the box a little bit so it's it's extremely different and I did 42nd Street for 10 months before doing the Rockettes. So it was kind of a shift of like mindset, long rehearsal days. Um, you know, same as a Broadway show, 10 to six, but you know, you're dancing the entire time and they just expect perfection. I mean, pretty much right away. So it's a very, you know, kind of military lifestyle over there. But, you know, it's precision dance. That's what it is. It's what you sign up for. So you know what you're getting into. It's, there's no like, oh my gosh, they want perfection. I mean, you know that. So it was, uh, it was amazing though. I had always wanted to be a Rockette. I met my best friends of my life there. They are still my best friends. You just have the best of time and you work at Radio City Music Hall during the holidays. I mean, there's nothing better. It's the best.
1: I bet that was magical to have that. Like the holiday experience is so cool. And how cool that you like met people that you love and that you got so much out of it. Is it true that everybody has to be the exact same height? What is it like, five, seven?
0: <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's an optical illusion. The shorter girls are on the end and then it works towards the center to the tallest girls. It's changed now since I was a rocket. When I was a rocket, it was five, six and a half, I think, to five, ten and a half. But my first rocket year, the center girl, I think was almost six feet tall. Now it has shifted. The height has shifted, but it's, yeah. And when they put the smallest girls on the end and the tallest girls, it gives the illusion that we're all the same height, but we're not.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Fascinating. So during that time of your life, when you're having these crazy long rehearsal days where you're dancing constantly... How are you keeping up the energy to do that? Like, was there any routines that you had back then, any kind of foods, like any, any way that you made sure to take care of your body to be able to have that much energy and stamina?
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, I was, I was 21 years old. I had all the energy and stamina. <laughs> That's it. You're just 21. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I was so hungry for that job and so excited to be there that I would have, you know, rehearsed myself. I did. I mean you you stay after and you rehearse with the new girls. You work so hard and you because you're working so hard and you know I was doing four shows a day, five shows a day. You pretty much eat whatever you want just to stay alive. That's the blessing of that job. That there's no holiday uh worries or guilts or diets. It's like you just get to eat and eat, and eat, and eat just to stay
1: alive. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure you need a lot of food in order to have that much energy. So that, that makes sense. So being young definitely helps with the stamina. So that kind of transitions us into your fitness career. What made you want to launch a fitness platform and start a career more into fitness?
0: Well, at the point that I was at when I started my fitness business, I had already started teaching. Um, I had been teaching fitness for, I think, almost six years, five or six years at a studio called Body by Simone. And I loved it. I loved teaching. I was doing it through Broadway shows. When I wasn't in a Broadway show, it was like my stability job. And I loved connecting with people. I loved helping people. It was dance-based fitness. So I felt like I was dancing every day. And when you're in a, uh, you know, a room full of women and you're standing in front of them, you felt like you were performing. So it all like it just made sense to me. At the same time that this was happening, though, I was going through a divorce. I felt like I had no control over my life. I lost my husband. I lost that security. It had been seven years that we were married. At the time, I my Broadway show I was in was going to close. I thought it was going to be a show that I would have for years because it was slated to be the next big Broadway show, but it got bad reviews and it was going to close. So I had no job and I was 32 at the time, I think, or 33, and I had no a uh, partner. So I was looking at my life and I just thought, I have to take control of something in my life because the ups and downs of a Broadway career are very hard, especially for somebody who is 5'10 and mostly a dancer, ensemble, singer... I wasn't always in Broadway shows. I, I'm a, I'm a showgirl. I'm very tall. I didn't cover the leads or play a lead. So it was very much like if I spit into an ensemble for shows. So I would go two to three years without being on Broadway until another show opened up that I was right for. So that inconsistency in work was really, really hard, especially when you're 32, you live in New York. Now you're on your own and i just was like i'm sick and tired of people telling me when i can work and how long i can work and i was like i'm just going to start my own business i'm going to start my own fitness business and i had this idea for a jump rope class that nobody was doing nobody had even like thought of and i had tested it out on some private clients of mine and i was like i'm going to start my i'm going to start my fitness business and so that's what i did i kind of not, I, I kept a toe in Broadway for a hot second. I was still sort of auditioning, but I was really mainly focusing on building this fitness company. And once I realized how much that was taking off and how much I loved it and how much I loved being an entrepreneur and my own boss, I slowly let go of my Broadway career and transitioned into just owning my fitness company.
1: That totally makes sense how it's like taking ownership of your life. Like, I think that's so, that's probably the coolest story about someone starting their own business that I've ever heard that it's not just like, oh, how fun to like own your own business. It's like, I'm taking control of my life by doing this. So cool that you were able to do that through fitness. I mean, that's, that's awesome to kind of have this moment of like, okay, if I continue on Broadway it's always up to someone else when I'm working, when I'm not working. So to be able to take control is so, so powerful. And since then, you've obviously become tenfold so many things since. And I think your career is so cool. And that's why I, I'm i so glad you walked us through all these stages because your career is so awesome to me, how you were able to start out as this Broadway dancer. And then it progressed into now being like a TV personality and author, like You've done so many amazing things. What do you think drove you, even after starting the fitness brand, what made you want more out of that? What made you want to say, I want to now become something more to become that TV personality? Like what was it in you that drove you to do more?
0: Well, I mean, you know, listen, I I knew in sixth grade that I wanted to perform. So, and, and I knew in leaving performing, It wasn't, you know, I'd done film and TV and Broadway for 16 years. It was so a part of me. And Broadway trains you for everything in life. I mean, you just learn how to be resilient. You learn how to do media training. You learn how to host. You learn how to answer questions on a television show. You're on morning television. You're on evening shows. I mean, you're just kind of, you get an experience of like everything. And it's super fun, and so it was such a part of my life. I mean, I I was doing you know movies and television shows in New York City. So when I got the call to do the talk, I never thought I would be a TV host. Well, I, ironically, I I had tried to pitch a pilot to be a dessert host for a sh- a show that I created. So wow. I I, I, guess, I guess for a small point in my life, I was a dessert critic for six years. And <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yes. And I pitched a dessert show to the cooking channel and Food Network and we filmed a pilot and it didn't end up getting picked up. But so I guess, I don't know, I guess I had sort of thought about hosting a television show before, but the talk of came out of nowhere, but it wasn't unfamiliar to me. Like being on a television set was completely familiar. Being interviewed or interviewing somebody was something I had done for years. Being around celebrities, I was fine with. Where celebrities are in Broadway shows all the time. I had done movies with Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio directed by Martin Scorsese. Like I, you know what I mean? I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm in a completely new territory. It felt very familiar, just on a new playing field. And so when I walked on to the set of the talk for the first day, it kind of just felt like home. It kind of felt like. This amazing opportunity, this lottery job that I just sort of happened to come across. And thank God they liked me. And after, you know, 10 guest spots, they decided to hire me. And it was such a blessing because I now love, you know, being a TV host and you just, you never know what's going to happen in your life. You know, I, I just feel like you stay open, you keep working hard, you keep challenging yourself and opportunities end up coming your way because of that hustle and that hard work.
1: I really like that advice to stay open because I think that's so true that a lot of the times there's opportunities you don't even know to want and to be working for that's out there that can come to you if you remain open. And it's cool to see how your career has like flourished. The other thing that you've done that I wanna talk to you about in your career is your bestselling book, Live Your Life, because your words have helped so many people with grief, with losing loved ones. But first, I want to ask you, because I feel like a lot of interviews you do, people talk about Nick and that experience through COVID. And so I just first want to know, like, do you like being asked about this because you can keep his memory alive? Or does it get exhausting to be kind of triggered back to such an awful time? I
0: mean, it, I guess it's a little bit of both. I mean, grief is such a funny thing. It, it Some days it doesn't bother you at all, and some days it can, you know hit a wound and and then trigger something you know so i would say i i'm so used to it now that it's totally fine but i think that it's just because grief is such a a roller coaster in life but what i'll say is that what i've learned in sharing this story over and over and over again is that every time i talk about it it's helpful it's healing i think the mistake we make with grief is that we don't talk about it. And people feel that they can't talk about it again and that they aren't allowed to talk about it again. And I think what I've learned through talking about this story, writing it down, doing the audiobook, dancing this grief, and now writing the screenplay of this grief, hopefully one day making a movie of this story is that every time it's another layer of healing for me and healing does not stop. There's not a day with grief that you are magically healed. It doesn't end. So you have to continue trying to heal yourself. And so every time I talk about this story,
1: it just helps me process and heal. I love that you speak on that because I think the immediate response for a lot of people when they're going through something really awful is to like suppress it. Like you're so right that it's I Or even like pretend it's not happening, kind of pretend like it didn't happen, like push it away as much as you can. When the more we can open up and like normalize discussing grief, I think the better, because that's such a natural thing for humans to go through and we're meant to go through it together. So I love that that's such a huge part of what you do is being open and sharing this with people because I think it encourages other people to share their grief and their loss and their pain as well. And like that, like what more could you ask for, for a human experience? You know, so I I love that you have that perspective. So writing the book felt like a really healing thing for you.
0: Oh yeah. It was very, very healing, very cathartic and so therapeutic for me. I I, I had no idea. I had never written anything before. I never thought I was a writer. I never considered myself an author of a book. So when I started writing two weeks after Nick passed, I would stay up till one, two o'clock in the morning and I could barely read what I was writing and typing on my computer because I had so many tears falling down my face. But I was realizing like, wow, it's amazing how if you write something down, how it really helps you process the information. I was never a journaler. I never kept a diary. So I, this was new for me, you know, people like my little sister who is, has a diary from when she was four, you know, she understood that she knew she was like, Amanda, yeah, of course this is, you know, and I was like, I just, I didn't know. I don't, I don't write things down. I do now. I love journaling and writing and I write things all the time, but this was my first time doing that.
1: And did you think like, oh, I should write these things down because that's how I'm going to help process through everything or what, prompted you to do that?
0: Harper Collins said, I want to make a book. of the It's
1: <laughs> good reason.
0: It was literally that I, I only started writing because I had a deadline all of a sudden that in six months we had to provide them with a book. And so, I, and thank God, you know, again, I, I tend to say yes to a lot of things in life, not fully understanding what I'm getting myself into, until I'm doing it. And this was a perfect example of saying yes to something in the midst of probably not thinking clearly and being under immense amount of stress and anxiety and trauma. Because I think they came to me in mid June about this and Nick passed away July 5th. Wow. So I don't even know what I said yes to. And then, so then when they were like, we need the book in six months, I was like I guess and I I love to work and I love to hustle so I I just was like I guess I got to start writing like I said it was a, such a gift it was it was the best thing that they could have ever given to me made me do because there were so many things that I had in my head that it was so helpful to write down medicines times doctors phone calls I mean I remembered everything. I mean if you asked me what happened on April 14th, I could say I woke up and this phone call happened and this is what they said and this is what happened to Nick that day. I mean like it was just ingrained in my brain. So to be able to write it down right away while it was still fresh in my brain, I could never do that today. I wouldn't I wouldn't remember those details. So the book luckily is extremely detailed because
1: of that. It's one of those weird things like I'm a big believer that there's no such thing in coincidences or you know, chances. So I like to think that it's like, there was a reason that that came to you at that time so that you could work through everything. So you could put it on paper. So you don't forget the details that you probably want to keep. You want to hold on to, you want Elvis to know when he is older, you know? So I I think it's really cool that it, it was this experience that you were like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll do it without knowing, but then it became something that was so important for your story
0: absolutely i mean honestly one of the what i feel like is the most amazing thing about that book is that elvis has it now i mean he's too young still and but one day he'll sit down and read that book and he'll know everything that happened every detail and that is so important because he's gonna want to know and if i didn't write that book and he asked me at 15 years old you know all the details i would I would be like, okay, well, let's see. I, you know, that's, I I think that happened and that was that day. And I remember a lot, but you know, like I said, the details that a child is going to want to know about their father are so important. So it's such a blessing that that book exists.
1: A hundred percent. And the other thing I want to say too, is I love that you shared it all on social media or not all of it, but a lot of it, because, That probably something too that you and Elvis can look back at. Like I remember seeing on your Instagram, you sharing the journey and everybody singing, live your life in LA. Like that was such a big thing, such a major thing to go through that. So to have even the videos of people singing, of your neighbors coming, like to make this story live on in the book and what you've recorded is so powerful for both you, for your son. But I think also for the world to have the shared story that other people can see their stories in. I know that probably recording everything and sharing with your audience and writing the book probably was so difficult. But like I, I love that you can look back and be like, thank God that I did it because you can capture this crucial part in time for you. Thank you very much.
0: I'm extremely grateful that they asked me to do it, made me do it in the amount of time they made me do it in that my sister co-wrote it with me and that it exists. Yeah,
1: I'm really curious too, because for me, my spirituality, I feel like has been formed around times of grief and fear of losing loved ones. So I'm curious, did your spiritual beliefs change going through everything with Nick? They didn't change. They just got a
0: lot stronger. It's crazy because you would think the opposite because... You know, you could easily go the route of why would a God take a man who's perfectly healthy with a brand new baby and a semi new wife and, you know, do this to him and and not help him survive? You know, I mean, you can go that route. And trust me, I did. There are many a days that I screamed and cried to my mom and dad saying, Why isn't God helping me? And why isn't he saving Nick? But I will just say that. I've never been closer to my faith than I was at that time. I actually miss how close I was during that time. I felt like every time I prayed, I like had God next to me and we were like hand in hand like over Nick's body just being like, "All right, we're a team. Let's do this. We got to we got to save this guy." You know, there were just so many times in the hospital where They told me there's nothing else medically that they could do for Nick, that it was over, that there was an hour left to live. And I would stand over him and I would pray for him. And I would ask God to save him. And I would play Amazing Grace by Aretha Franklin. And that man lived every single time they told me that medicine couldn't do any more. They couldn't do any more for him. So there were some beautiful, really beautiful, strong faith moments for me throughout that. And yeah. And and now after he's passed, I just, uh, there's, it's even more beautiful because I feel like the things I've experienced since Nick has passed is even made me feel like comforted that when we go on the other side, we're still somehow here and our soul's and that energy never goes away, so that's also been really comforting.
1: Wow! Can you share any of those experiences that have kind of helped you feel connected? I mean, yes. Uh, without sounding <laughs> without sounding like a crazy
0: person, there's times where I have asked Nick for things and they instantly happen. I've seen Nick's energy in Elvis like crazy. And it it like like almost like the movie Ghost, like his energy is over. (laughs) I mean, I know I sound like a crazy person, but (laughs) no. There's been some beautiful dreams I've had of Nick that have felt so real. Just different things like that, but I I would say mostly. I mean, in the last chapter of Live Your Life, there's a story I tell where I am talking to Nick uh, after he's passed. And I ask him to make Elvis do something and Elvis literally within seconds does exactly what I, in my head, asked Nick to make Elvis do. So just, no, no, like crazy things like that, that I, I don't feel are coincidence. I guess anyone could take their interpretation on it, but, um, it's given me a lot of comfort and peace.
1: Oh my God. I, I mean, I, I believe that so much that there's always like you're, it's a different presence. I I've heard from one actually like a psychic years and years ago, I think I was listening to a podcast or something and she explained it like, you're losing just the relationship you're used to. You're losing the physical relationship. You're not losing them. You're just losing how you've known them. You're actually knowing them in a totally different way where they are still present with you and you are just having a different relationship. And so that's really st- stuck with me. And and that's what it sounds like is, is you, you know, we haven't lost... The people that we love that are no longer physically present. It's just a changing of how we relate to them and like what that relationship looks like and feels like. So I love that. I love hearing those stories. I think for so many people who are currently going through loss, grief, to hear those stories from other people I know is so healing, to have that bit of faith and hope that like there is still that presence there. Another thing that you shared that I personally helped me and like totally changed my outlook. I think you shared it. You shared it on the talk, I think at Nick's 10 month anniversary of his passing. It was truly one of the most profound lessons of my life. Can you share with the audience the two inches away concept?
0: Yeah. So this was told to me by a friend. And when I heard it, it was just, I thought it was so magical and made so much sense. But basically the concept is, is that when a mother has a baby in the womb. You know, all the baby knows is everything inside the womb. It's being fed, it's being cared for, it's being held, it's, you know, it's safe, it's their entire world. And then all of a sudden, you know, their world starts getting shaken up and they go through a, a dark tunnel. And then at the end of the tunnel is big light. And on the other side of that tunnel are all the people that want to love them and hug them. And they're waiting for them to say, hi, we've been waiting for you. We love you. Oh my gosh, you're here. And when the baby's in the womb though, they don't know that just two inches away, you know, the mother's womb on the outside of that womb are those people, but you don't know because you're a baby and you're inside the womb. And so my friend said that, um, What she had heard from her friend that is of the Baha'i faith is that they believe that we are in the womb, that we are now the babies in the womb, and that all the people that we love that have been lost in our life are just two inches away from us. It's just we are in the womb, and we'll be shaken up one day and we'll go through a dark canal. And on the other side of that beautiful tunnel where all the light is, are going to be all the people that go, We've been with you this whole time, we're just two inches away just like we're in, you know, a baby in the womb, we're now in the womb. So when that was told to me, I mean, I was it was very soon after Nick passed and I was like sobbing and I was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> but it's it is such a beautiful concept. It makes so much sense and um I think it just helps, you know, I'm all about reframing a lot. I love reframing things. And so it just really helped reframe loss for me.
1: Like when I say it changed my life, it really did. Like it it completely transform the way that I see loss. And it makes so much sense to me too. Like it's a baby in the womb doesn't see the mom, doesn't know, but it's like in the mom it's, it's around, you know what I mean? It's like all encompassed by the mother, but it's not like they can physically see the mothers there. So I think that's another way that I've been able to think of it is like, We just are not able to see these things or these people that we feel like we've loved and lost. But that doesn't mean that they're not there. They're actually all encompassing. You know, they're all around us and they're carrying us. They're carrying
0: us every single day and watching over us and holding us and feeding us and loving us. And we just don't know because we Mm -hmm.
1: can't, we're a baby. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, it it makes so much sense. So much sense. (laughs) 100%. 100%. And of all the things I've heard about people discuss grief and loss and and even like afterlife and spirituality, like to me, you explaining this, I was like, that is the the thing that has clicked with me the most. And I'm sure so many people will also feel that way where it's like, aha, like this makes sense. It provides so much sense of comfort, I think, to view it that way. Were there any other practices, mindsets, conversations that, that helped you the most going through grief for other people out there who may be experiencing something similar?
0: Yeah, I would say uh, two things. There's a book by Rabbi Steve Leder that I was really the only grief book that I could stomach to read, which is called The Beauty of What Remains. And I loved it because it was extremely honest. It's, um, it deals with obviously death and losing his father but basically saying how we still have to find the beauty and in life. So how death teaches us to live. And then, uh, the other thing, uh, another thing that a friend told me, which really helped me reframe Nick's loss was that it was, if you consider it an era, he was like, Amanda, you know, he's like, what if, you know, your Nick time together is your Nick era and now you're in a new era of your life. But that, time that you had with Nick, that era will never change. It will never go away. You can always remember it with like the best of memories. And it just wasn't a part of your life. It was your Nick era. And we have many different eras in our life. And now you're in a new era of your life. And it's going to also be filled with a lot of magic and a lot of new things and experiences. And that'll be that era. And that was that era. And That also helped me too, because I just felt like instead of feeling like I had lost something, lost a part of my life, it made me feel like, oh, I get to always have that. I I get to keep it. It's mine. No one will ever take it away from me. He's not here anymore, but I still have that time that I had with him. And that was my Nick era. So that was also something that was really helpful to me.
1: I love that too. I think a a big concern of people that go through loss is that it kind of feels like. Now, do I just like go on with my normal life? Like that feels wrong because I'm like, it's almost like you're leaving them behind. So I love that reframe of it's not leaving them behind or that you're moving on or any of these things that I think people worry about. Your life has so many different seasons and different eras that I love that that word for it. That that was a, such a special time that will you'll always have that era that will always be there. And it's okay for you to be in a new era. That's really, I think, so such a helpful way to think about it. And when it comes to Elvis, because I know that, you know, not only were you dealing with the loss of your husband, but then you had this beautiful, amazing little baby that you also had to help through this. Have you thought about, I'm sure you have, having those conversations with him? And like, at what point are you going to say, here's the book, live your life, go ahead and read, you know, all the detailed stories about your father. Like, have you thought about that? And how does that look kind of bringing Elvis along in your grief process?
0: Elvis. Well, he saved me big time. I mean, to have a little person that looks up at you every morning and smiles, especially right after Nick passed, was like, I mean, a godsend. He made me sing. He made me dance. He made me laugh. He made me have to, you know, get up and do things because he can't, you know, <laughs> entertain or survive on his own when you're one. And since Nick has passed, I have just surrounded him with everything and anything I can about Nick. I've just never made it. I didn't want it to be taboo. I I have pictures up of Nick everywhere. We've gotten so many lovely, lovely stuffed animals and blankets and paintings of Nick and they're all around the house. And I've just never, I've never let Nick die. And I think it's important because I want Elvis to know his father as much as possible. We play his music, I show him you know, videos of Nick. I mean, such a blessing that Nick was a performer and an artist and an actor because we have lots of videos and and voice recordings that Elvis will get to, you know, constantly hear and refer back to. As far as the book, that'll be, you know, on Elvis's time. I, I think as soon as he can understand that it exists and it'll just be on, you know, him to, when he wants to read it. I'm not, I won't put a timeline on that, I don't think. But he, uh, yeah, I don't know. We're just, I just, I've always been very honest with him. I feel like we are a team and um, we share a very, very special bond. And he's an old soul. He understands a lot for a little kid. So I try to protect that and also just be a very honest, you know, mom.
1: It seems like you are very... Open about it, which I think that's so important because you're giving Elvis the gift of almost like obviously he doesn't have him physically as if he, you know, he could if he was still alive, but that he gets to grow up with him in almost the same way and the awareness of him. My grandpa died before I was born, but the way my mom and my grandma and my aunts talk about him, I've always said, I feel like I know him. I don't feel like it was some guy that I never met. Like I know him when I pray, I pray to him, you know, like I have a feeling of connection to him that I cannot explain. It's not a physical thing. And I think that that keeping him alive will help Elvis to always have his own relationship to him. You know, it won't feel like, oh, this person that I missed out on and lost when I was a baby. It'll always be like, he's still a presence to me. He's still here. He's still part of my life. What advice would you give to other moms that are helping their children through grief or through loss? Gosh,
0: advice. You know, it's hard because every kid is different and everyone handles grief differently. I would just say lead with love. And I always try to think about what Nick would want me to do. You know, that's kind of how I've guided my life since Nick has passed. You know, what would Nick want me to do? What would he want me to say? What would he want me to share? So maybe think of it that way.
1: That's good. I love thinking about what they would want. Like that's a really cool way to kind of tap into that person that you love and that you miss. So that's so powerful. I love that tip. I also want to talk to you about mental health, which I always look at as kind of like twofold. Like one part of mental health is growth focus. Like it's boosting your mood and de-stressing and increasing energy and happiness and all those things. But then there's also the part that's the healing and, and it's getting rid of limited beliefs and releasing trauma So how do you prioritize your mental health now, both in growth to boost your mood and in still continuing to heal?
0: First and foremost, I mean, for me, mental health is is extremely important and how I tackle it on a daily basis is by exercise. If I don't exercise in a day, I am in, I'm not in a good mood. I need to exert that energy, that anxiety, that stress, if I'm thinking something that I, you know, is a negative thought, like the minute I put on music and I start jumping rope or I'm taking a dance class or I'm boxing, I mean, it's just, it's such a great way to diffuse that energy. And, you know, it's L. Woods said it best endorphins make you happy. <laughs> and they do. So, so it's just been really my. Number one saving grace. I did it through my divorce, and I didn't even realize how much exercise played a part in that for me. And then I really realized it through everything with Nick, how I needed to exercise every day. And it's just so important for me. And then, you know, of course, you know, you also you need you need help, of course, and there's definitely Wonderful ways to, you know, assist in your mental health and sleep, getting enough sleep and trying to find those energies on hard days, especially as a mom. Like last night, I did not sleep at all. I don't really know why, but I could not. You know, just one of those nights where like you can't sleep. So there's days where you need extra help and energy. And you know, I'm a, a, a partner with Swanson Weo and brand representative for their mental health program, and I love what they have because they really have an ability to kind of um, have something for everyone because I I truly believe with mental health, it's not the same thing every day. Like I said, like today, I'm a little bit tired and maybe like because of that, have a little bit of a foggy brain and need to pick me up. But maybe like tomorrow, it'll be extra anxiety or, you know, you, you just kind of, or, you know, never know what it's going to be. And they kind of really have something for everyone. And I think it's a really important message that we don't all need the same thing every day. You know, you you need to be able to check in with yourself and understand okay, where am I at today? What do I need? What do I need to help myself with? How can I get through this hard hour or this hard day or whatever it is, you know? So, I think it's just about checking in with yourself and being aware and treating yourself, giving yourself that self-care. It's important.
1: It's so true that like, you're going to be different every single day. You're going to feel different, whether you're grieving or you're just going through the world, you know, every day is going to feel different. So I think that's such a a good tip to continuously check in and know that it's okay that you're having an off day where you're tired and brain foggy and tomorrow you might feel sad. And then the next day you feel super happy. Like that's just part of life is going through knowing that you're not going to feel the same every single day. And then I love the fitness piece of it too. Something that I know you've said before in social that I've loved and taken with me is like, we should be so grateful to move our bodies. Like the fact that we are able to move is so awesome. And I love that reframe because I think we get so caught up in like, oh, I didn't burn enough calories today, or I didn't like work out hard enough. We get all this pressure and obsessed with working out when in reality, what it comes down to is we are so lucky to be able to move. And that's all we got to do is just move.
0: Yeah, it's such, it's so true. I mean, I think it just puts so much into perspective when, especially when, you know, you're going through an injury or, you know, like for me watching somebody lay in a bed for 95 days, knowing, you know, he, he would love to be able to even just move his arm for me to sit in my house and go, Oh, I'm just, I'm too tired. It's like, Whoa, it's just a really good check-in. I mean, just, it's not a chore. It's a privilege. Go for a walk, go take a class, you know, push yourself because we get one of these bodies. You got to take care of it.
1: Yes. Oh my God. And I bet you'll never take for granted the ability to be able to move and that we can go work out. Like a couple of days ago, I was like, well, I don't feel like working out. Maybe I won't. But like just thinking, okay, then go for a walk. Like I don't have to go push really hard and, and get intense. Like the fact that we get the Gift to move our bodies is something that we should never take for granted.
0: Yeah, you, there's days where you do need that, but also, like you said, yes, just go for a walk, enjoy nature, move your body, it's dry, you know, get oxygen flowing. It's just, it's not, it doesn't always have to be this intense two hour CrossFit workout. It can be a leisurely walk or, you know, a 10 minute workout. It can be anything.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it's a way to celebrate life, not as something you got to check off your to do list. Obviously, I also am dying to know your other wellness routines, different things that you like to do, whether it's like your morning routine, nighttime routine, whatever you prioritize more. What are some of those things that Amanda Clute swear by? <laughs> you know, to be
0: honest, as a single mom, it's just to, to get out of bed and to get into bed. <laughs> I don't really have a routine. I really don't. Um, Elvis has a routine. And by the time <laughs> I'm done with his routine, I'm so tired that I sit down on the couch <laughs> and do anything and I pass out. So I'm just lucky enough to like, you know, crawl into bed and and wash my face and put my moisturizer on. But, you know, I don't really have, other than making sure I move my body every day, That that's my wellness routine. I'm pretty simple.
1: I love hearing that too, because I think there's, like I love hearing someone's very detailed thousand step morning routine. And I live for that stuff. But I think a lot of people... Feel stressed out, especially moms. Like just knowing it's okay if all you can do is get your kid ready for bed and then sit on the couch and maybe like scroll through your phone. That's okay. Like you're you're fine. You're doing it okay. So I like hearing when it's like I got nothing. Like I move my body and I am keeping my kid alive and healthy and well, and we're all good here. I think that that is that is wellness itself. Is to be able to give yourself the grace to just do what you can do and to be okay with that. What are some favorite like meals or kind of foods that you love to have that you kind of go to on a regular basis? You know,
0: I I love to eat. I do love to eat healthy, but also I kind of eat whatever I want. I eat a lot of vegetables. I don't find that I need like a lot of meats or proteins. So on a typical day, you know, I kind of enjoy like a simple yogurt and granola breakfast, uh, something easy for lunch. And then I, I make, I'm a creature of habit. So I'll get into like, I'll eat the same dinner for a year unless (laughs) I'm going out to eat or something, but I'm not a snacker. I I like meals. I like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I rarely will snack because I just, I don't find it appetizing. So I'd rather like sit down and have a meal, but Yeah. I would just say I eat pretty healthy and then also allow myself to eat whatever I want when I want it because I know I just listen to my body and and I know that I work out enough and I try not to think of things as guilts or treats. I just, you know, listen to what I want to do.
1: That is amazing. nutrition advice, honestly, is just to listen to what you want and to allow yourself the indulgences and again, to live your life. So I love that advice, Amanda. Okay, we are going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. First question: What is your go-to coffee order?
0: Oh, I only make coffee at home. I rarely ever get it out. If I get it out, I'll have it flat white. But I usually just make my coffee at home in the morning. I have two cups, and then I don't ever drink coffee throughout the day.
1: Okay. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Wow, you got you got a lot of energy on your own. Okay. What song do you listen to when you need an immediate boost? Um, Dreams by the Cranberries. Ooh, good one. That's a good, happy song. And then last question, Amanda, what does live your life mean to you? It means exactly what it is. Live your life. Like you
0: don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you have later today. If you want to do something, do it. If you want to ask a question, ask it. You you have one life to live.
1: So just live your life. So good. So good. Amanda, thank you so much. Where can everyone find you real quick? Your social handles and whatever you want to call out. At Amanda Klutz on Instagram. That's pretty much all I use and do. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Nice and simple. Thank you so much for sharing, Amanda. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram or at Talk to you next week.